A hearty welcome to any and all new nerds on the block. In today's Byword, we're nerd commending great starting points for people who are new to reading comics. So get your bookmarks ready because the Byword starts now. Welcome to episode 117 of the Nerd Byword, your exclusive tour guide to the nerd multiverse. In today's Byword Big Talk, we thought it'd be cool to take some time and share some starting points for people who are new to reading comics. But first, it's time to keep you abreast of this week's... Nerd News! Dave, to quote one of my favorite films, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You're keeping it on the sunny side. Yeah, so uh, there are some uh, interesting reports coming out about Daredevil's involvement in the uh, Disney Plus series She-Hulk. Um, obviously, there's been some considerable hype. There's been a, you know, a, a shot from a trailer that shows Charlie Cox reprising the role in now a red and yellow outfit, obviously a tribute to uh, one of his com- early comic book suits. Um, and now we got a little bit more information about exactly how he's going to be portrayed in the series. Um, the direct spoke with uh, Jessica Gao, who is the lead writer and series creator on She-Hulk. Um, and she expressed, first of all, shock that they were even able to use the character, saying, well, first of all, we were shocked that we were able to use him, like when we first heard that he was on the table. I mean, we couldn't believe it. Uh, we kept thinking, okay, at some point, someone's going to say just kidding, like it's a cruel joke and you actually can't have him. And it just kept going and going. And then she continued... Uh, Charlie is so wonderful, he's game to do whatever, and he's such a wonderful actor and a wonderful human being. What was so fun about bringing him and Daredevil into our world is that people have already seen a Daredevil who is very dramatic, a little bit on the heavy side, very dark, brooding. Uh, And she then goes on to say, it was so fun to be able to do, uh, and we do this with every character cameo from the MCU, is we take them from the environment that you know them from, which is much more dramatic and action-oriented, much more on the serious side, and we bring them into our world, and they get to play in the tone of She-Hulk, and they get to explore, and we get to see a lighter side of the character. Um, Now, that's interesting, because there's already been some rumors uh, floating around online that the uh, upcoming Daredevil Born Again series will also be a little lighter than uh, what has come before in the three seasons on netflix which were very very dark and broody and dramatic um so uh, some people are even speculating that perhaps it'll take a page out of the run of mark wade who very specifically uh, his his runs mission statement was to to sort of have fun with daredevil and and try to move the character past some of the more traumatic stuff that had happened to him at that point in recent years and of course right after his his run concluded on a very you know uh, optimistic um, note, uh, the very next run put him right away back into darkness, you know, so it is a very popular place for Daredevil to be, but I have to say that I really enjoyed Mark Waid's run when I read it. Um, there's something really cool about seeing the character sort of make a conscious decision in the pages of the comic book to say, listen, I, I'm going to try to move past this stuff and enjoy being Daredevil a little bit. And the run was really good, as you know, you can definitely always expect for, for Mark Wade. So if they're taking inspiration from that, 
Uh, I don't think I'm going to be necessarily like, you know, all grumble, grumble because Daredevil isn't dark enough or something. Um, because there's a really, really good basis for a more lighthearted Daredevil, uh, you know, and there's got plenty of comic book inspiration for that, Chris. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm new to like reading Daredevil. Um, I'm reading the masterpiece that is the Chip Zdarsky run right now. And it's not overly dark. And, and, you know, I have to be careful. I've said this on the show before is like, I have to be careful when I'm taking in overly dark and broody material. It just puts me in a bad headspace. And so I don't think it'll be an overcorrection by any means. So like, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. I think, I think there are so many like doomsday fans out there that don't get exactly what they want or any hint of that. And they think the sky is falling. And I don't think that this is the case. I mean, like for Pete's sake, we're getting Charlie Cox staying in the role. Like, don't don't get too spoiled now. So I, I'm excited to see how he plays off of Jennifer Walters. I'm I'm really excited about She-Hulk Attorney at Law at large, um, and to see to see what this show becomes because it seems like it's going to be a good might different than anything we've seen in the MCU before. And seeing Daredevil injected into that is is interesting to me. I totally agree, and you know they they do hint at other cameos. I mean we got we got Wong in the trailer. And that that was already like a great moment in in the trailer between you know Wong and and She Hulk. So yeah, I'm really excited for this. I'm a big fan of She Hulk, generally speaking. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping that this this kind of captures the tone of some of her better runs in the comics. And yeah, seeing Daredevil in the mix is going to be a blast. So you know, here's hoping it turns out, uh, you know, absolutely amazing. Now, Chris, I'm not quite sure how to feel about your new story. Let's dig in. What have you got? Well, last week we dedicated the entire episode uh, to everything surrounding Warner Brothers, HBO, Discovery, Kitchen Sink, the good, the bad, and the 90-day fiancé-connected universe. Uh, one of the recent developments to come out of that uh, since that time is that new Supreme Overlord David Zaslav could be looking for a Kevin Feige of his own, uh, someone to pull the DCEU up by its own leather-clad bootstraps and organize their vision uh, for their movies going forward. One of the names rumored for that rule, uh, role, according to Variety, is none other than Arrowverse head honcho Greg Berlanti. While Berlanti's work has been exclusively limited to the small screen, it still is admirable what he has been able to pull off, no matter how you feel about the CW-verse, including a full-fledged Crisis on Infinite Earth series of episodes that even saw fan-favorite, underappreciated Superman actor Brandon Routh return to the role in the Kingdom Come variant of the character would Berlanti be able to pull off a miracle with a massive influx of budget and resources this is all nothing more than speculation at this point but that doesn't keep us away from our imagination your thoughts Dave yeah I don't know how to feel about this um you know the thing about Berlanti's productions generally speaking is that they come out of the gate kind of strong and then they go off the rails almost immediately um, Arrow was never better than it was in it for its first two seasons, and I don't think it ever recovered from from this dip in quality. There were moments, I think it was season five and parts of season seven, perhaps, where it felt more like you know the best that Arrow had to offer. But I don't think it ever really surpassed the first two seasons. It just dipped, and I think something very similar happened with the Flash, the first season. And maybe the second season were perhaps the strongest, and then boom, immediate drop off. Um, you know, Legends of Tomorrow. The first season was, I think, admittedly atrocious, and then they kind of found their own space, just being as goofy as humanly possible. And it, you know, it became sort of this lovable loser show. Like you know, you knew that it was kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, but you still kind of had fun with it. 
but so many Berlanti productions kind of collapse in on themselves after a little while. Um, and that, that might be a function that Berlanti himself always eventually moves on and, and leaves his creations in the hands of people who can't quite handle it. I don't know. Um, but seeing him as sort of the overlord of, of the um, DC movie universe, and I'm going to tell you, I'm so, so tired of, of hearing the term DCEU. It's the dumbest term ever invented. I mean, I get MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but what what the heck is a DC extended universe? Like extended, what what are we extending and where are we extending it to? It's just dumb. Like, can we just call it the DC in-universe or something simple, the DC movie universe, the DC cinematic universe, DCCU? Like anything is better than extended universe. Uh, okay, rant over. My, my point is ultimately... Um, I don't know if Berlanti is the right guy for the job. I mean, he pulled off some really neat stuff on the small screen, but there's also always a noticeable quality dip. I would hate, you know, for there to be an absolutely fantastic, for example, Superman movie. And then the second one, um, he delegates to the wrong person and the whole thing just collapses. One of the things that Feige is incredibly good at is who he delegates the jobs to, right? Like he's very good at picking the right people. And, and kind of just sitting there and, and, and steering the general direction of the ship. But Berlanti always, you know, turns his head away from what's going on, maybe, you know, doesn't really delegate to the right people, and then the quality dips significantly. So I don't know if he has shown the ability to pick the right people, uh, if that makes sense, Chris. Yeah, it's 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 a really fascinating discussion, too, because on the one hand, you sit there and you think, well, don't just copy Marvel's homework, <laughs> you know, like the old Mr. Bean meme. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you, you got to do something because what you've done is not working. Um, you keep getting stuck in the mud. And so I think, I think you nailed it with, with Feige almost, almost to a fault. There's been this connective um, plan for things so much, to, you know, to a point of, of, of detriment in some cases um, to where you have to, um, say goodbye to Edgar Wright directing the Ant-Man film. You see Scott Derrickson leaving the Doctor Strange um, sequel, which that may have been for the better, but who knows um, what would have happened there. Um, and to the point where we are just now in phase four, getting some diversity in directorial vision. And it, it's taken this long. But I think if if you ask any moviegoer, I think you're willing to check that at the door in order to get something that is complete and as immersive and grandiose as the Infinity Saga. So it's really a complex thing, and it's not an easy answer. I think it's very clear that, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery, Shamalama Ding Dong, is is definitely trying to copy Marvel's homework here. Um, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I just don't know where they're going to find somebody who understands the, the the basis of what makes the DC universe for all intents and purposes um, distinct and interesting um, and has a love for the characters and is willing to preserve the core of what makes those characters so special. I mean, that's, I think, what, what Feige does best. I mean, we can't say that the Infinity Saga or much of anything else is a one-to-one adaptation of any particular comic book. But the core um, of the characters what makes them distinct and special always, uh, you know, seems to be the guiding principle. You know, they're, they're always there. I mean, even 
when we look at something like like the recent Miss Marvel series, I think it's very clear that despite the powers changes, you know, take them or leave them, uh, how you feel about those, um, the core, the character, the characterization of, of who Miss Marvel is, uh, is is incredibly intact. And I think that's what makes the series ultimately work. So that's what you need, is you need somebody at the hit that has an understanding of these characters and what makes them distinct and special and has a love for them and knows how to pick people to you know put an interesting vision of those characters on the big screen while maintaining their core attributes. That is not a small order. And I think, if we're completely honest here, the, the MCU lucked into Feige. I mm-hmm. don't think it was ever the initial plan that he's going to be the grand master right. of, of the MCU. And so now trying to duplicate that by looking for some kind of overlord for the for a new DC extended universe, I, I think um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, they tried this with Zack Snyder. I mean, that was like the, the goal with him. He's going to direct some of these movies and he's going to coordinate other movies and have creative input and all that. And that obviously didn't work. I don't think he was necessarily the right guy for the job. So. I don't know. Picking the right guy is going to be hard. I don't know if Berlanti is it. I don't know who it would be. Um, and I don't know if it's the right way to go to try to find somebody like that. But one thing's for sure. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, I hate my own streaming services, uh, is going to have to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> here's, a, here's a sleeper pick that just dawned on me. Um, I don't know if he would do it because he's making yet another Clerks film. But you talk about someone who loves the source material. And I think that's that's what works with Feige so well is you can tell that there is a deep love and understanding of those characters. Give the give the reins to Kevin Smith, man. Like let him do it. He loves these characters. He loves both both of the big two. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that is more knowledgeable about these characters than Kevin Smith. You know, I I I'm gonna say it, I tend to agree, actually. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith's, generally speaking. And and to have him, he doesn't even have to direct, you know, like he, he's just, you know, the guy who, who delegates and, and, you know, makes sure that the core of the characters is respected. I think Smith would be fantastic at something like that. Yeah, I actually really like that idea, Chris. All right. We just need about 20%, Kev. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wraps up Nerd News. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of that? Be sure to hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, When we come back from our first break, we're going to give you some great starting points if you're new to reading comics. Stick around. All right, it is time for this week's main segment of the episode. You know it as our byword. And this is... um, a topic that is was really inspired by not only our, our conversation with Maria on the Ms. Marvel episode, she said that um, she had not become a, a comic book reader yet because it's it's a difficult thing to jump into, and she was struggling there. And and you know, I had some tips in that conversation. And so um, there's a lot of folks that are coming and watching the MCU or even the DC films or popular Netflix adaptations, as we'll talk about later in the Nerd Commendation segment, and they just want to know where to start. And there are some, you know, comic book runs that are new reader friendly and some that are not. So we each have, as is our custom, picked three 
uh, comic book runs that are pretty new reader, uh, new reader friendly and um, great jumping on points. So Dave, um, you've got a DC recommendation for us first off. Well, I think uh, obviously I have a mad love for DC. It's sort of my first love of comic books. And, you know, when we're talking about getting into reading comic books, we have to obviously discuss the big two, among other things, because, um, you know, if, you, if you're going to get into comic books, a huge part of that is uh, what I lovingly refer to as cape. Um, and this is, you know, it's, it's just something that you're going to have to dip your toes into um, to try to figure out if that's, you know, up your alley. And obviously a lot of people, thanks to stuff like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that ex- the success of that, uh, they obviously have an interest in the adventures of, you know, caped superheroes. So where do we go from here? Um, if you're going to look for an entry point into what is DC Comics and, and what is it at its best and what makes it tick, I think the place to go is The New Frontier, a six-issue limited series published between 2003 and 2004. Uh, You can get it uh, in trade paperback these days very easily. It was both written and illustrated by Darwin Cook, Um, and uh, it is uh, really probably the best representation in in a mini-series of what um, DC is all about. DC you know, the mission of DC seems to be very different, you know, uh, than, than some from Marvel. Marvel is very um, grounded, I guess, for lack of better terms. Uh, Stan Lee, I think, used to say something like it's, you know, the, the, you have you feel when you live in New York, like you can look out the window and that's what you're going to see. It's like Spider-Man swinging by. It's the world. Yeah, it's the world outside your window. World outside the window. That's right. And so uh, DC is not that. And uh, some some people misinterpret these characters as like they're they're gods and they're above us and all that. And that's not really what makes DC tick. DC is, I think, above all aspirational. You know, it 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 shows you ideals. Um, you know that that are worth striving for. So the New Frontier straddles basically two eras in comic books, the golden age and the silver age. It's sort of the, the fading out of the golden age, and the beginning of the silver age. So what you got here is a, a story that is set predominantly in the late 1950s. You have, you know, the classic golden age superheroes, uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, bumping elbows with the, the new silver age characters, the flash green lantern and Martian Manhunter. Um, it is very much rooted uh, in being a period piece and, and tries to, in a lot of ways, kind of pay tribute to um, that time period in comics, while at the same time creating something that's really uniquely special. Uh, characters, I think Hal Jordan in particular, I mean, if you're going to call anybody a main character, uh, it's probably Hal Jordan. Um, I don't think he's ever been more interesting than he is in The New Frontier. I think uh, Cook perfectly captures you know, Green Lantern here. Um, he does a fantastic job with Barry Allen Flash as well. Um, the essence of Superman is here, the essence of Wonder Woman, the essence of Batman, and most importantly, I think the essence of how these these characters click and interact with each other. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff with Martian Manhunter here and, you know, being an alien and living in a foreign place. Um, that That is fantastic. There's a good infusion of, like, noir storytelling here that is very reminiscent of, you know, 1950s kind of storytelling it's just a perfect encapsulation in a lot of ways, though, of who these characters are, what makes them special, um, and and really just the aspirational nature of what DC at its very best 
um, represents. So, uh, you know, if anybody asks me for a good entry point to DC Comics and those characters, to me, it, it's just, it's the new frontier. It's, it's a flawless piece of storytelling. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned its availability in trade paperback, and that can be um, a hit or a miss type of thing when you're looking for physical um, comics. And it can also be an expensive endeavor when you, you know, start to stack those up. And, you know, we're a broken record on this show. But if you're looking and, and you're coming into reading comics for the first time, I cannot recommend enough these digital comic services. Um, it's been both of our nerd commendations time and again. Um, if you know that you prefer DC over Marvel, DC Universe Infinite or Marvel Unlimited are great ways to go. If you're not sure or you want to look the indie route or something, as we've said before, really just whets your appetite enough before you have to start paying for single issues. Um, Comixology Unlimited is a great resource. A lot of these different places um, have free trials of whatever insert amount of times before you have to start paying. Um, Comixology Unlimited, I believe, is the cheapest per month. I believe it's $4.99 a month. Um, so if you're not looking to break the bank, that's a good way to kind of go down the middle. It's got some DC. It's got some Marvel. Um, some of the most popular runs from both. Uh, I think the new frontier is on there. I'm not sure. It is. It's on. It's on DC Universe Infinite. Yes. And so it's on the DC one. I I, I meant the yes. Comicsolo- I meant Comicsology, but I wasn't sure. I'm not sure about Comicsology, but it is on on DC Universe. But they Infinite. have yeah, they have big ones like um, you know Civil War or um, you know like Flashpoint, big popular ones uh, on Comicsology. So if you're looking to go down the road and you're not sure if you want to go one way or the other, that's a great resource. Um, but again, it'll give you just enough to whet your appetite and then you got to start paying. Um, but again, so if you're coming in absolutely cold with no comics behind your belt, I highly recommend those digital reading services, whichever is is apropos to you. Um, that being said, your recommendation of The New Frontier, it's a bit embarrassing, to be honest, that I have not read this because... Yes, yes, it is. Because <laughs> I remember... Um, just falling head over heels in love. I think it was like 2008 or 2009 when I watched the animated feature and it was just so majestic and it was everything you said about the, and I think they even touted it as this in the solicit of like this timeless idealism and optimism. And that's, um, if I'm being honest, the, the, the thing that appealed to me being exposed to both at least, um, at least a little bit as a kid, I think the the world outside your window of it all really just appealed to me. I was running around the playground, flipping or acting like I was the master of magnetism. Just that, that realistic approach without being dark and gritty really appealed to me as a kid. But then what pulled me into DC, even at a young age, was like, even my limited exposure to Superman was like, well, he's trying to do the right thing all the time. And as, you know, personality-wise, I really related that to that. Even when it's hard, even when it's incredibly difficult, you always try to do the next right thing. And that's something that I immediately attached myself to when I saw the New Frontier animated feature film, uh, which I believe is on HBO Max. Definitely go check that one out before... HBO Max goes away? (laughs) Yeah, before Zaslav loses his freaking mind and just burns everything that's good. Um... 
So yeah, I'm definitely checking this one out on DC Universe Infinite. It's only six issues. I'm knocking this one out soon. All right, Chris. So, what is your first recommendation for newcomers? I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to our friend um, Steve Howdy Duda on Twitter. They uh, recommended, or, or they were telling me um, how incredibly relatable the original Lee Ditko issues of Amazing Spider-Man, and um, it just really brought me back to the first time that I got Marvel Unlimited. Um, and that was the first thing I jumped onto. I read uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, Peter Parker's origin story. Um, and then I dove right in and I did not look back when it came to uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And similarly to that new frontier, yes, we're talking golden into Silver Age characters. But there's a timelessness about those Lee Ditko issues and even leading into the Lee Romita issues. And, you know, you can talk ad nauseum about the behind the scenes drama of it all between Lee and Ditko and Lee and just about every freaking body. Um, as we talked about in that true believer episode with Abraham Reisman. Uh, but the proof is in the pudding and, and, and I'm going to be completely honest. I think it's the strongest work that Stan Lee ever did is those amazing Spider-Man issues. Now, how much actually is Steve Ditko? Who knows? All I know is it's great comics. And um, yes, it feels very much of its time, 1962, but at the same time you can, you can easily envision that happening today. I think um, as great as the Fantastic Four comics are, I think they're very much rooted in the 1960s. I think it's very much that zeitgeist of, of the space race and all of that. Um, the Avenger stuff is very much a 60s piece as well. And I think ASM is very much timeless and very easy to jump onto. Um, so if you read Amazing Fantasy 15 for one of the greatest origin stories in all of comics, and it's only a couple of pages, um, leading into Amazing Spider-Man, I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find better, easier starting material than Amazing Spider-Man. I think that's absolutely fair. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, date myself a little bit here, but uh, when I first read uh, the original Lee Ditko run, um, what I ended up doing is I was reading um, the reprints in those ginormous essential volumes. I don't know if you remember those, Chris. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That were, they were like reprinted just in black and white. It was basically yeah, I, have like, a, I, have these, an, I have an Avengers one that I got from a used bookstore, yeah. Yeah, worst paper quality ever. It was basically oh, yeah. the equivalent of a, of a phone book, right? It did not um, it did not it did not last long with the kids in my house. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically coloring books. But what's very cool is um they were they were reasonably priced and at the time when there was no you know, Marvel Unlimited yet, it was a great way to kind of get a hold of these issues at an affordable price and try to dive in. And so my first run through the originally did go Spider-Man was, you know, in those little, in those ginormous black and white 500 page books, you know, and uh, it holds up even when you, you know, strip the color away and you put it on cheap paper. There is, I think, something timeless about it. You're right, because um, it really speaks to sort of that universal struggle of, you know, coming into your own as a teenager, um, uh, and taking, you know, part of your own power, but also your responsibility to those around you and family. And, and I mean, there's a there's a lot of universal themes there um, that you, you might not expect from a comic book that old. And you're right. I think it, it certainly supersedes those old Fantastic Four Avenger issues. Um so yeah, this is, I think, a really good starting point. I would argue that if you don't want to deal with how much that's stated, I, I really do think that uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man stuff is also a really good entry point. Took the words from my mouse, and our friend 
uh, from my mouth. And, and, and our friend Kevin Ewing said the exact same thing when I put this post on social media. And, and, and I mean, it's just like, which strength do you want? Now, you know, admittedly, that is also a very 2001, 2002 comic. Um, so you're still going to get some of the, the silliness, the Jinko jeans of it all um, and, and all that jazz. But like, uh, if you can look past those minor aesthetic notes in both of these runs, it's, I mean, it's a win-win for you, whichever way. And so like that one almost made my list, but I also wanted to give some love to the original one because it holds up as well. All right, Dave. So your next one would have made my list, but I felt like I should let you have it because it is a very, very easy jumping on point because I just jumped on and started it. Yes. So I think, uh, and you can tell sort of my organization as usual, I have a DC, I have a Marvel, I have a indie. I really like to break things down and, you know, try to diversify what I'm talking about here. And so my Marvel recommendation and a really great entry point into the Marvel comic book universe to me is uh, the original uh, Miss Marvel run of Kamala Khan written by uh, G. Willow Wilson. Uh, you had some really cool artists coming through. I think uh, Jamie Mc- uh, McKelvey and uh, Chris Anka did a bunch. Um, there were some really, really good uh, artists on there. Um, Mia Zaba was uh, doing several issues as well, I think. There's just some really cool um, really cool artists involved um, as well. A lot of, you know, um, um, I think some sometimes underappreciated people. I think Adrian Alfona did some issues too. Um, so yeah, there was a bunch of artists that came through the initial series. I think it was 19 issues and then it was relaunched after some event. I think uh, G. Willow Wilson ended up writing uh, Kamala's um, adventures for almost 50 issues overall. Uh, and that run is uh, a fabulous jumping on point. Um, obviously, we just had the Miss Marvel, uh, you know, Disney Plus series, which is, uh, you know, has kind of put a spotlight on that character. But I think what makes it a natural jumping on point into the Marvel universe in general is that that Kamala Khan is a fangirl of the Marvel universe in a lot of ways. So anytime that she comes across a character. Um, there's a crossover, she encounters Wolverine, or she encounters Loki, um, or she deals with thin humans, uh, which I know you're, Chris, a huge fan of. Um, anytime that she uh, interacts with any of these groups or people, there there is sort of a built-in, oh my god, I can't believe I'm meeting this person who did this and does this and is a part of this. And so you kind of almost get a primer of the Marvel Universe as you read the book through the eyes of somebody who's a fan of all these people and and their interactions and, and their adventures. And that's really, really cool. It's kind of built into the character, so it doesn't come across as like disingenuous or something. It's 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 very natural. Plus, I think this uh, this initial run in particular does a really good job capturing exactly what we were talking about with Lee Ditko's Spider-Man in a much more modern sense in that we have a teenager who's coming into her own, discovering her own power, dealing with, you know, family dynamics and all of those things, things that are um, universal and I think speak to everybody uh, to some extent. So again, this is a great representation of what Marvel is all about is, you know, the world outside your window. It's, you know, down to earth characters, even though they have fantastic powers dealing with, you know, real problems, everyday problems, family problems, friend problems, first love problems. Um, it's a great encapsulation of the kind of stories that Marvel tells and, and what makes uh, Marvel so, so fantastic. 
Yeah, I love I, I love everything about this series. I think um, it, it's incredibly relatable for all the reasons that you listed. Um, and and a second, completely second, the art, the the transformation where she's walking into the mist is just fantastically drawn. So I I, I love everything about this book. Um, the Inhumans of it all did seem like it was an executive from the top down initiative. Um, and if you know what was happening at Marvel at the time, that'll all make all the more sense in the world to you. But it doesn't detract from this story because this character quite literally breaks through all of that and, and you can't help but love her. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm not surprised to see your next recommendation, Chris. All right. So I need to come out with a disclaimer for this one due to recent events. Uh, looking at you, CTE2. Um so I previously, a couple of episodes ago, said that Chris Claremont was a writer that I would follow to the ends of the earth, and that I could always count on him to write a great story, whether it's, you know, the flagship title or a B-book or what have you. But then he went on a xenophobic, transphobic, misogynistic, racist, whatever you want to call it, all the isms and the ists and the phobias rant at c2e2 and i don't know who spiked his drink or whatever um but he gave william shatner a run for his grumpy grandpa money so chris claremont get your together that being said my second recommendation for an easy jumping on point into good comics is giant size x-men number one from 1975 by directly leads into Uncanny X-Men 94. Uh, It doesn't sound like a great jumping on point, but it is uh, co-written by Ween and Claremont and with art by Dave Cockrum. And this is the influx of the new international team. Um, The entirety of the Uncanny X-Men title before this point, uh, I mean, it was for... Look no further. The book was canceled and was doing reprints. There's not a lot to write home about. It was five privileged white kids from upstate New York. Uh, not not the most spellbinding adventures. So um, as much as I love Cyclops, um, it's not the most riveting stories. You can tell that it is the least thought out of a process between Lee and Kirby. I think they were putting all the resources behind books like the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, so I I would not recommend the early stuff. There are some there are some okay stuff there and some people really love that stuff and I love that for you, but it is not high quality to me. So this is a really good jumping on point. Um giant size X-Men, you get Storm, you get Nightcrawler, you get Colossus, you get Banshee, you get Sunfire, all the new and interesting characters that really inject new life into this team and make it what we love today. Um, and then you start with Uncanny 94 into the Claremont run and you just keep going and don't look back. So um, this is incredibly new reader friendly. Um, it's exactly what I did. And um, it, it really is some of the best comics you'll ever, you'll ever read. The seventies and eighties Claremont X-Men stuff is, is some of the best stuff in comics, despite, his idiocy that he just recently uh, revealed yet again to the world. So um, we really need to keep our, our old white grandpas accountable because 
this is despicable. But yeah, this is good comics, I promise. I'm actually shocked that you didn't uh, recommend uh, Hoxpox as the jumping on point for X Men. That is not new. That is not new reader friendly. Uh, no <laughs> Sherlock. Um, <laughs> I think I think we're coming up on uh, maybe in a couple of episodes or something. I think we're going to come up on a, a discussion of you know the Krakoa era and and my take on it. Given that uh, you have finally bullied me into actually reading that stuff, and I'm trying I'm trying Steve, to wrap my head around Steve. But- Steve, we did it. We did it, Steve. Well, I'm reading it. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm loving it, but uh, that's something for another episode. Uh, you know, I've, I've read a few of the Claremont things, and and they always resonated really well. Um, Any time that uh, that I picked up any of those X Men issues, even if it was just for like a two part, you know, story or something, there there is something about the writing that really really resonates and 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 speaks, uh, I think, to me um, and and to a lot of people. So. Um, it, it seems like a natural thing to kind of pull on that string and just kind of, you know, read that run straight through. Um, and eventually that might be something I do. Um, but it seems to be that, that that's probably the best jumping on point for X-Men, especially given that the newest jumping on point didn't feel like much of a jumping on point for a, an uninitiated individual like myself. Yeah, this will definitely give you some of that context that you're so desperately looking for. Um, just don't, just don't uh, ask... Chris Claremont, what he thinks about the current run. Uh, Dave, now, it would be an incomplete Dave episode without this third recommendation. Yeah, if, if I would recommend anything to uh, new comic book readers, it is to definitely sample what the big two have to offer. But always understand that you're coming in in the middle of a story. And I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. We're talking about jumping on points, um, and that's all nice and dandy. But these are... Um, characters that have existed in some cases for you know 90 years 80 years um and and so in that case what you have is is stuff that is you know ongoing for a long time there's been all sorts of stories told some are good some are not good how do you find you know make it through the weeds to find the good stuff well for one listen to this podcast but um also um you know do yourself a huge favor and and do not neglect um, what we call indie comics, although you know how indie it is it at this point, you know stuff from Boom Studios, stuff from Image Comics. Oftentimes, what you get here are things that are finite, right? They have a natural starting point and an end point, kind of like TV series, and you read the whole thing and you have a complete story, and then you move on to the next thing. You can move on with life, you know. And there are so many good things. I would also recommend stuff from the old Vertigo imprint from DC because they did the, the same thing. You know, they told stories that had a natural beginning middle and end oftentimes you know if you're going to go indie you can go with stuff like you know the woods uh by james uh tanyan which is so so very good and it's already done so you can read the whole thing in, in trade paperback or on comiXology you can read something like uh, saga a very very cool mature uh, science fiction epic which is currently still ongoing but has you know already has a massive amount of issues and you can really dive in if you like horror you can go for something like you know something is killing the children from boom studios which is you know kind of buffy the vampire slayerish uh, and it's also still ongoing but has i think 20 some issues already under its belt um 
what I'm trying to say is ultimately the superhero stuff has been around forever and it feels sometimes like it's going to be around forever. But don't neglect indie comics because that's where you get those wonderful, finite, you know, beginning, middle and end stories that have a clear vision, go where they want to go and then say goodbye and the writers move on to something else and give you another story in that vein. It doesn't all have to be, you know, the never ending story. Sometimes it is just nice to sit down and read, you know, something that's 30 issues long um or something like that you know um so and there is one in, coming up in my nerd commendation today that is is very much up that you know alley an indie comic that is you know self-contained and is a wonderful wonderful story so for crying out loud you know have fun with your cape stuff but go indie and don't neglect the independent publishers like like image like boom uh, like dynamite who are doing some really fantastic stuff that doesn't necessarily go on forevermore. Heck, you can even read The Walking Dead, a comic book which is so much better <laughs> than the television series and also has already concluded and no doubt has a better ending than the, the TV series can ever hope to have because you know they killed off a bunch of the characters already that factor into the ending of the comic book. Um, but that that's a rant for another day. There's good stuff out there, guys, and you don't just have to read Marvel and DC. I'm going to throw my friends over at IDW Publishing in there as well, especially their work. Absolutely. I'm going to, especially their work with my beloved Ninja Turtles. I, I, I still hold that it is one of the best comics that is still ongoing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally wholeheartedly, there's a lot of stuff that is still on my to read list that I started that I need to get back to, particularly with boom, boom just keeps knocking it out. Um, they, and 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 um you know things like eve things like uh the many deaths of layla star that i still have to get back to um and a lot of the stuff that you uh, that our listeners may be catching on netflix or prime video or something like that a lot of that stuff is coming from these indie publishers they're not big two stuff um i think sweet tooth might have been a dc comic i'm not sure but i know stuff like uh, umbrella academy or um, Lock and Key. I think those are all indie publishers. So definitely, like I said before, with that, um, you know, Comixology, you should be sponsoring the pod at this point. But um, <laughs> that Comixology Unlimited subscription will give you some of those goodies as well. All right, Chris, grand finale. What is your final recommendation? So um, I'm, I'm keeping it Marvel here. But um, if you enjoyed... Oh, really? If you've... <laughs> If you enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder or wanted to love it more, you know, go back to our episode 114 review of the film. Uh, but you want to go back to that source material. At least half of that um, is from Thor God of Thunder in 2012, uh, written by Jason Aaron, the start of this epic, epic run, illustrated by one of the true giants in the industry of Asad Ribich. Um and it is just one of those, if, if you're a fan of horror, which I, I guess more and more that I'm exposed to it against my will, I, I'm really appreciating the horror elements of it. But but Thor, Nerd Nightmare is coming back soon, God, Chris. Jesus. Uh, anyways, Thor God of Thunder in 2012 is just so great. And as such a mythology file that I am, particularly of Norse mythology, and it's set in in the the first century ad iceland and like it's thor's the god of the vikings and if you if you want more gore because not not gore like you know horror stuff gore the god butcher which i guess that kind of 
maybe that's where he gets his name. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's where you get Gore the God Butcher. Um, and I think it is much more fleshed out than what we got in the film, unfortunately. But uh, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better 25-issue run of comic books than Thor, God of Thunder. And it is very aptly part of the Marvel Now initiative that they ran in the, the mid-2000s and the, and the aughts. Uh, no, this is no, this is the the 10s. Excuse me. This is the Marvel Now initiative that they ran in the 10s. This is 2012. Um, so a lot of the the editorial mandate in in Marvel was make this an easy jumping on point. And I don't think you're going to find a better jumping on point in that era than Thor: God of Thunder. I I I it, of of all, and I know this is going to sound bad because I love. Jane Foster Thor. I think just this maybe is just catered to me the most with my love of mythology and everything. I think this 25 issue run is probably my favorite of of the uh of the Aaron run just narrowly out outdoing uh the the mighty Thor, but I mean like it's an embarrassment of riches. So I really love the Thor God of Thunder. I think between Ribich's horrifying art in the best possible ways, you see the god butcher at work and this just the looks on the faces of of the witnesses is just terrifying in the best possible way, and it really sells that element of horror. Um, so, Thor: God of Thunder is a really great jumping on point. There is some previous stuff about Brock's in Oklahoma uh, and and everything that happens there, but that's not really you're not missing out on a whole lot because I didn't read that previous stuff either, and it didn't take me out of the story at all. This is probably my favorite thing that you've ever nerd commended to me. Um... I absolutely adored reading this. Uh, I think the whole Jason Aaron run on Thor uh, is, is an absolute masterpiece. Um, so yeah, I'll wholeheartedly echo that this is a great jumping on point if you're interested in more, more Thor. I don't think it gets more Thor than Thor God of Thunder. It's just, it's it's pretty spot on. You get three Thors for the price of one. I mean, you know, it's it's just a really, really good run. So I'll I'll wholeheartedly agree with that. That wraps up our Byword Big Talk for this week. Uh, for our more experienced listeners, please be sure to give us and our new reading friends your own nerd commendations for jumping on points in uh, social on our social media pages at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram. When we come back from this, our final break, we're going to be giving you two heavily teased nerd commendations. All right, we're back for this episode's final segment. It is our patented and very own All right, Dave, we teased this one heavily. What you got for us this week? Um, so I think in order to explain my nerd commendation this week, I, I think I have to back up for a second. So a few years back, I played a video game. Um, that uh, had a uh, profound impact on me. Um, the cast, the main cast, was predominantly girls, um, and and sort of their their struggles in encountering the supernatural um, w- was something that really affected me. And by the time I was done playing the game, I was just kind of sitting there in in sort of a a stunned silence, just trying to process it all. You know, and the emotions that came over me when the story concluded. Uh, and the video game is something I'd nerd commend in the past. It was the original Life is Strange. 
it's been a long time since I felt sort of that that stunned emotionality and trying to process an ending to a series or, or a game or any kind of media. But it finally happened again. And that's when I uh, finished reading uh, the 30-issue series Paper Girls, published by Image Comics, um, written by Brian K. Vaughan and illustrated by uh, Cliff Chiang. Uh, the story, uh, it, it kind of just summarize it very briefly because I don't want to give too much of the twists and turns away. It's, it's just basically um, a group of four girls who all work as uh, newspaper delivery girls in 1988, um, kind of decide to band together on the uh, in the early morning hours on the day after uh, Halloween because there's all sorts of mischief happening and they don't want to, you know, get overtaken by all this trouble um, and end up coming face-to-face with really strange events and phenomena. Uh, eventually devolves into a bit of time travel as the four are thrust into both the past and the future, have to come to terms with their own destinies, um, and ultimately um, try to find their way back to 1988. There are, uh, it, it's really hard to describe how good this series is, and I really struggled for for the words, I think, a little bit with this one. Um, there, there's a, a sense of something like uh, the Stephen King story, Stand By Me. There are shades of um, something like Stranger Things with its you know, roots in the 1980s. Although I would say that th- this series is probably not quite as nostalgic for that time period and, more, and treats it more not, not so reverently and is a little more uh, probably honest about the 80s. There's a sort of, you know, a lot of fun with like neon infused coloring, particularly on the covers. Um, the art is stunning uh, and does such a great job cap- capturing these four characters who are, you know, distinct in my mind um, even now. And it leads to one of the probably the most most bittersweet endings that I have ever read in a comic book. Um, I know that there is a series now, I think it's on Prime Video, that is based on this comic book series. So we have a TV series that's coming out of this. I really can't speak to the quality of the adaptation, um, but there is something that is incredibly resonant with this series. And you know, the thing is too, that Brian K. Vaughan uh, famously wrote uh, one of my all-time favorite stories, uh, Why the Last Man. And when uh, I finally got Chris to dive into, you know, the first volume of Why the Last Man, he said that it's very much of its time and he doesn't necessarily really always understand um, women and how he portrays them seems a little off by modern standards. Let me just tell you that uh, Brian K. Vaughan has developed just as much as anybody else over the last years. And I think Paper Girls is fantastic in how it treats these four girls um, and how they come into their own, um, all the development that they go through. There's obviously, you know, some some love of or first love and 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 that sort of stuff. I think Vaughn is uh, is just absolutely at the top of his game here and created something. Um, I, I guess the best way to say it, and I've said it before, is that it just resonates. It it just it gets you in the feels, and you 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 know these characters, you feel for these characters. And and when it all comes together in the conclusion, you're left happy and for the, the potential of, of what, you know, the future could hold for these characters, but sad for what they have lost 
it is it's an experience um and and one that i don't think i'll soon forget it's it's a very very special 30 issue run and absolutely fantastic all right i i mean i don't have anything to add to that other than i'm checking it out as soon as possible all right chris what are you recommending I teased it so heavily last week, but um, we talked about this extensively on a recent episode as well, that I struggled really connecting with the Sandman comics as I tried to get ready for this series. But um, your advice was, watch the show, maybe it'll give you that connective tissue that you need, and holy lord, it did. I mean, I'm telling you, this is just 10 episodes of bliss. Um, I did get two or three issues in in my last attempt before the show, and all I can say is that Tom Sturridge perfectly encapsulates and embodies Dream. Um, I had some friends that say that his his hair was not big enough, but um, there's a there's a there's a scene in the first or second episode where like it's almost like a lens flare, but it does that that glint with his eyes, and it's just absolutely perfect. Uh, this cast is just uh, it's just out of this world I, I mean you just I can't say enough I can't put into words we're both speechless this week I cannot put into words how perfect this cast is um, my only nitpick is that Kirby Howell Baptiste's death was only in one episode and I am ravenously starving for more of her she is absolutely perfect y'all need to cast her in everything um, Mason Alexander Park, they are hauntingly incredible as Desire, but again, not nearly enough Desire in this. And I know that maybe this is because it's, you know, only the first um, series of Sandman that they're adapting. Whatever they're going to do with season two, hopefully they have spinoff series. Um, Rose Walker is fantastic. I I loved every single moment of this show. The fifth episode in particular, the uh, you may not have watched it, Dave, but all I have to say is the diner, and I'm sure that'll resonate enough. Holy Lord, I was I just in in, in I just stared in silence for a good ten to fifteen minutes after I watched that episode, and I had to collect myself because I there was a range of emotions that I don't think I've experienced in viewing a show that I experienced when I watched um, that particular episode. David Thewlis, um, you know him probably most famously as Remus Lupin. I thought he was misused as Ares in Wonder Woman, but as John D. here, he is absolutely terrifying. His line delivery is, is, is haunting. Um, everything about the show is just, darn near perfect and i i love the cast in particular and i'm dying for a second season and spin-off series and all of it i love this show dave you need to hurry up and watch it yeah it's on my list to check out i'm gonna be completely honest with you i adore the the sandman comics with a red hot glowing passion so it's always a little you know iffy to watch an adaptation i'm actually in the middle of a reread of sandman whenever i'm not checking out x-men comics i'm you know going back through uh, the the original Sandman comic books kind of to prime myself up, I guess, for checking this out. And it's just such a masterpiece. You know, if if the series uh, on Netflix encapsulates even a tenth of the awesomeness of of the comic, it's it's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I'm sure there'll be a second season. Yeah, even the few issues that I read and I'm talking with people who are huge fans of the comic series, um, and even like the the a lot of the reception I've seen is it is 
one of the most faithful adaptations of of media that that we've seen. So I'm really excited to dive back into the comics now. I, I think this gave me the kick in the pants that I needed. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd Byword. We thank you so much for coming along this journey with us. Welcome to all of our new listeners and new comic book readers. Uh, we are here to guide you on this wonderful adventure. Please make sure that you like and subscribe to whatever podcasting platform that you hear us on, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, TuneIn Radio, or our fancy schmancy website, nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media. We obviously want to hear from you and what topics you would like to uh, hear us discuss and your take on all the things that uh, we have been recommending here. You can find us uh, on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord, individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. You can also check out our Discord and uh, get directly into contact with us and have some neat discussions about comic books and the nerd world. Yeah, and be sure to check out the Linktree link in both of our social media bios. Um, for all of that goodness, including the Discord link, including uh, both of our merchandising shops on Redbubble and TeePublic. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.